Episode 39 of G.I. Joeberg, South Africa's only podcast dealing with G.I. Joe. My name is Stephen, and I'm joined, as always, by my team, Paul and team member Rob. And with our powers combined, we are G.I. Joeberg. (laughs) How are you fellas on this fine evening? Feeling better than I have in the last week and a half because I've come out of the dreaded logi I've just been a bit ill and I feel a lot better this morning was the first morning I woke up without a stuffy nose and dry face and feeling broken so I'm that's rocked that's just being today. in Joburg yeah, I was I must... there for a week and then I felt sick I was like oh I can't breathe <laughs> chalk one up for the Cape Town superiority complex woo well, you no, got a mountain yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> and an ocean. Two oceans, even. <laughs> yeah. One's very cold. <laughs> the other one's not cold. Tonight's episode, we're doing something we haven't done yet. The 10th of September marks the 30th anniversary of the original air date of the second Sunbow-produced G.I. Joe miniseries entitled The Revenge of Cobra. Dun, dun, da, da. So tonight, we're going to be doing a discussion of something that we've never really devoted a podcast episode to, and that is the G.I. Joe Beloved Cartoon, which is very near and dear to so many members of this uh, fan community. But for this small segment of it, namely the three of us, let me just put it in perspective. On the 10th of September, 1984, when The Revenge of Cobra initially aired, Robert was yeah. one year and six months old. Yes, and there was a very big problem with why Stephen couldn't watch this. And <laughs> Paul, right yeah, now. We'll get there, we'll get there. Paul okay, was okay. 11 months old. Uh-huh. And yours truly, Stevie Boy, was seven months in utero. <laughs> so unless he had some really good reception in there he was not watching it <laughs> yeah man it was dark but it was warm <laughs> what else do you need a couple of joes regular yes. meals but no wifi anyway. yeah apparently <laughs> so naturally the G.I. Joe cartoons did not form a huge part of our initial G.I. Joe experience. It's something that we've discovered as adults. I'd say in that respect, Paul has probably got the most experience with the G.I. Joe cartoon, having the box set at his fingertips. And having I, the videotapes when I was younger. You did, did you? Very I have Action Force videotapes, yeah. <laughs> oh, get a VCR, man. I want to see those suckers. 
Boom. Yeah, action I, Force are there. Action Force will dare. Action uh, Force. <laughs> all I'm saying is, uh, every time something happens, they'll be, it'll be like, we have to stop Cobra. Okay, let's get the machine guns and start shooting, okay? And then it's, full force. <laughs> <laughs> I've managed to acquire a copy of G.I. Joe the movie that starts off as a G.I. Joe American release, and then at some point, halfway through, it switches over, and they start saying Action Force instead of G.I. Joe, and Full Force instead of Yo Joe. It's very infuriating, because they use different voice actors. That's right. So yeah. it's kind of jarring. It, like Sergeant Slaughter will sound like Sergeant Slaughter, until he says Yo Joe, or mentions the word G.I. Joe, and then he'll switch into some hack basically it's a bit of a hackneyed job yeah bit of a cockneyed job (laughs) 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 so we are addressing in this evening's podcast only the first part of uh, revenge of cobra which is entitled in the cobra's pit and wikipedia very kindly made a summary of it. Let's see if it's any good, because I'm going to quote it back to you, our listeners, just to put you on the same page of exactly what episode we're talking about, in case you're in the dark. Cobra attacks a G.I. Joe convoy and steals a high-powered experimental laser. No, they don't. During the battle to protect the laser, both Duke and Snake Eyes are captured by Cobra agents. Once back at Cobra's base, Destro uses the laser to complete his latest weapon, the Weather Dominator. When Flint and the other Joes launch an air assault and rescue mission, Destro uses the device, and it's stormy skies ahead for the Joe team. So in our midst, we have a complete Revenge of Cobra virgin, and that would be Rob. So I'm very intrigued to find out what you have to say about this first installment of the second miniseries of G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. <laughs> well, my only experience with the G.I. Joe cartoon before has only been the uh, G.I. Joe movie. I expected the tone of it not to be terribly serious, like what I usually expected from the comics. And I wasn't disappointed. It's it's very silly. Uh Really? Remember, a cobra is a snake, and snake is sneak spelled sideways. sideways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so upset with what I just heard. I'll destroy my technology. Attack! Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't disappointed. It was interesting and over the top, as, as, I've, as I've heard to expect from the cartoon. And, yeah, interesting, that is this the season where they introduced the Dreadnoughts? Were they not featured in um, the cartoon before this? Uh, that is correct, actually. Huh. If, yeah. It seems like Revenge of Cobra was used to showcase a number of 1985 releases, which makes it a very interesting miniseries because, obviously, it was aired in 1984, so it was kind of a, a teaser, essentially. Huh. So you had Dreadnoughts being showcased, you had Lady J and Flint being showcased, you had Snake Eyes' new outfit being showcased. These were things that weren't currently on 
pegs in toy stores or department stores yet, yes. essentially. Yeah. Well, that's cool. They even managed to preview um, Zartan's uh, skin-changing color ability. Yes. Ah, the sunlight. I hate it. It makes my chameleon ability... Or it renders my chameleon ability useless. Or whatever the I hell he says. turn blue. They're also, on top of showing you a bunch of toys that were about to, to hit store shelves, they also show you a lot of what the toys do. It's one thing about the show, and this is a constant in the, in the, in the whole show. Obviously, Rob, I'm sure you've heard that, you know, Shipwreck flies the Sky Striker, etc., etc. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Not uh, in this episode, however. No, in this episode we have Roadblock flying a Sky Striker for starters. Uh-huh. So Flint's got himself a Sky Striker. Um, At least Flint this... is a pilot. Yeah. Yes. Take um, nothing away from that. But he's not and... fixed wing, is he? No, he is fixed wing. He flies whatever. But I, I, I mean, yeah. it would be a stretch of the imagination to imagine him to be a sophisticated jet fighter pilot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Does sure, mean, he can I, fly I choppers, it's... he can fly light aircraft. Yeah. Maybe a cargo plane if he's up to spec, but yeah, <laughs> a Sky Striker, that's, that's Ace's domain. Definitely. Yeah, and it's still, for me at least, it feels kind of plausible that everyone might be able to fly Skyhawks. Um, there there could be some on-the-job training there. That's the point I want to make here. This miniseries, for me, stands out quite a bit in that they put a lot of different Joes in a lot of different vehicles, and they sort of mix and match. And it kind of feels like they're sort of like they go like they're suggesting that you can put any Joe in any vehicle. So in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. it is kind of like a an ad like a commercial, you know, for the toy line. Definitely. Sorry, in your long history of of obvious statements, Paul, that that's way up there, buddy. No, but I mean, like it has to be said. Still, it's, it's um, a commercial for the toys. Mm. Oh my goodness. Mm. Well, where's the Baroness that can change into an old lady? I mean, I don't have that toy. <laughs> but that, yeah, that's that's the other thing. You you get obvious like little things like that that they can't replicate. You know, like mm. for example, how's this? We never got a Weather Dominator figure or playset or even some form of Cobra Temple playset at all ever. We've only now gotten the Weather Dominator, and it's not even like the full thing. It's just like a part of it. It's it's the three parts. Of the weather dominator, and I don't want to get, go into that because that's spoilers for later episodes. But <laughs> assuming anyone listening to this podcast hasn't watched the miniseries, the mini-series but uh, yeah. I mean, in terms of of stuff that gets showcased that we never got in toy form, I'd say the one that's up there for me is the Cobra airship. Yes, that, that uh, massive cargo plane that can take off and land vertically. Yeah, the snake face VTOL is, is what I like to call it. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So that's amazingly ugly, if, if I can put it out there. I just, I just want to say it. Uh, but what a useful vehicle to have. Cobra was always making very quick invasions, and to have that craft makes it all make sense. Anyway, let's do a, a um, almost chronological account of this episode and kind of discuss things as they crop up. I, I think that would be perhaps the most helpful uh, way of yeah. tackling this. So we open up with the G.I. Joe protecting a convoy with some sophisticated laser that has a high-energy generator of some sort, and that's what yeah. Cobra's after. Mm-hmm. Now, G.I. Joe must have the worst security ever, because <laughs> Cobra not only has 
a makeshift air force on the scene, but they are able to deploy tanks. They've got a huge amount of logistics in this assault. I'm thinking there's some insider information being leaked. They I don't even know. had people hidden in trees and rocks. <laughs> wow, we got a lot of time. Let's set up fake these things out. A fake hollowed out, out boulder, which incidentally is Scrap Iron's debut. Yeah. It seems very on the nose. Like, here's a new character, Scrap Iron, attack! And, like, the boulder rotates to show Scrap Iron in a Stinger Jeep. And Firefly, attack! To show Firefly in a Trouble, Trouble Bubble, which Bubble. is also a, a debuting vehicle at this point. But let's not overlook G.I. Joe's greatest security flaw in the entire opening part of this episode. They've got a giant laser, quote-unquote, giant laser on the back of a truck. It's not covered. Anybody can see that it is some giant death-making machine. (laughs) Okay? So completely not a covert mission here. Maybe they were banking on the fact that, like, Optimus Prime could handle it. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> and then, because I mean, that, that, that truck does indeed look like Optimus G1, Prime. G1 yeah. Prime. And then, on top of the whole thing, and the pun is intended, is the laser generator. The one thing that Cobra wants from the whole operation is right on the top. And glowing. Of the truck. And glowing is going, here I am, steal me. Okay. <sighs> Can Why really Cobra has to hide in rocks in the first place for this is beyond me, but still. Well, I don't know. I mean, G.I. Joe's got some pretty glaring security leaks, but it's Cobra who sent their August leader into combat flying around on a Cobra claw. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's that's just asking for it. And, I mean, it's no surprise to anyone when Cobra Commander gets captured. And in the same breath, no surprise to anyone that Duke gets captured, though at least this time around, he brought Snake Eyes along for the ride. I mean, it is verbatim what happened in the previous miniseries, that being the Mass Device. Well, okay, it, uh, the first miniseries that aired in 83 was actually entitled The Adventures of G.I. Joe, but everyone mm-hmm. calls it the Mass Device because... That's how you differentiate it from The Weather Dominator, which is what Revenge of Cobra seems to have been affectionately redubbed anyway. Pedantics. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens. Duke gets captured, and Duke is forced to compete in some sort of gladiatorial game. At least this time they have him fighting Snake Eyes as opposed to some, I don't know, random Conan Conan. the Barbarian (laughs) look-alike. But don't... don't don't spoil Spoilers. it for Rob yet. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And I will say this much about Snake Eyes. His uh, 1985 version 2 look is animated in black. Yes. They seem to have opted back in uh, the first miniseries in uh, the Mass Device to give him a kind of a purple look. Yeah. With exposed flesh uh, hands. Which they will, sort of go, they will sort of go back to and later on in the actual animated series when you do see Snake Eyes. Because mm. I wonder if the color choice uh, alteration was initially made in the Mass Device. In the first miniseries, he was colored purple so that he wouldn't disappear into dark backgrounds. I mean, that's, that's the, the, the easiest explanation I can come up with. That's and awesome. um, fortunately, in The Revenge of Cobra, 
it starts out in a daylight sequence where uh, we can see him playing his day. Uh-huh. The purple or the blue was most likely used to help um, to make him pop out a little bit from his surroundings. And yeah, then the animation, I, probably. This is the miniseries. He probably gets the most screen time in terms of uh, actually doing something. It's one of the few episodes where he, he's actually Snake Eyes. He's not dressed up uh, in a disguise or anything stupid. Something I noticed about uh, particularly Cobra Commander's introduction is he doesn't lisp anymore. They have chosen to omit that sibilant speech pattern that he established in the first miniseries. In fact, I actually made a note of this here as well. He does it once in the very beginning. Yeah, in the very, very, very beginning of the episode. But it seems like he's directed away from it. Mm. So in the beginning, he kind of goes, well, let's sneak on you guys now. And that's like the only time he does it. (laughs) Other than than that. That's what he does, Paul. It's something like like that. But that's the only time that that he has that. And then he doesn't have it for the rest of the episode. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just it perhaps was a little bit strange that you've got the leader of this terrorist group with a speech defect. Yeah. There's kind of and he effect. was a car salesman. Or is that not in the cartoon series? Not in the cartoon series. Oh, okay. Because that would be a really bad car salesman. He would, must have been the worst. They never do a, a backstory on Cobra Commander's origin. They do. It's called G.I. Joe the Movie. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, huh. See that, And that's something I actually just want to also bring into this. We've had two miniseries. The first one establishes the brand. The second one is the Revenge of Cobra. And obviously, we'll have the Pyramid of Darkness following, and then we'll kick it into high gear with the main series. But nowhere is there any kind of establishment. There's no G.I. Joe is formed. There's no like, oh, okay, G.I. Joe is formed as a group. There's no Cobra is formed as a group. There's no origin. Uh, and it's kind of kind of weird, and I think it's because the show kind of piggybacks, and I mean this is obvious, but it piggybacks on the toy line, but I think it also piggybacks on the fact that, okay, kids have seen the toys, kids know some of these characters already, they maybe have read the file cards, so we don't need to always introduce these characters. And in Revenge of Cobra, there is a lot of introduction to new characters, as we've mentioned earlier, but there's no origin, there's no like, oh, this guy is this guy because of this and that and the next thing. No, dreadnoughts pop but up. Paul, who's got the time for that, man? <laughs> True, You've got but then... such a massive roster of characters that are all new to give them all a little bit of backstory. I'm surprised they managed to get as many memorable characters out as they did in the space that they did. I mean, within this one episode, you've got an introduction of Roadblock, and instantly he's a character that I'm on side with. I'm like, I like this guy. Hmm. Uh, Lady J in this initial episode only gets one little moment to shine, and that's when she takes out a whole row of Cobra gliders. But already, yeah. like she's she's an interesting character. Flint, we're way on side with him. He's like, yeah, that's cool. He, he <laughs> with uh, Duke constantly being taken out of action, it's quite clear <laughs> that Flint is now the only legit leader of the GI Joe team. I think they just give you enough to give you the character. You know, like, oh, there's the, you know, the, the Cajun dude and his gumbo, and then there's the rhyming guy. They just give you enough to, to make him stand out a little bit from the other guys and give the kids who are watching the show just something to start with and build their own stuff off. Yeah, like maybe. a quirky hook. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, he's the dude who does that. Cool. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce that into my play. Hell, they even managed to give uh, some screen time to a character that never got an action figure, at least not at this stage of the run. Sparks, the communications guy. Yeah. Like, you've got Breaker. Why the hell do you have this dude dressed in tan sitting at the communications desk? <laughs> yeah. Communication station. <laughs> Just about the opening uh, action sequence, in one of the very first establishing shots, you've got a procession of G.I. Joe wolverines and and vamps and dragonfly helicopters and skyhawks flying past, and you've got two falcon gliders also flying past at breakneck speeds. So you've got guys guarding this convoy <laughs> in gliders. I mean, very fine and well that, that Cobra assault them with gliders, just mixing it up with their claws. But to have a glider accompany a convoy on like a cross-country long haul. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Some amazing updrafts that they must be catching to keep aloft. <laughs> <laughs> that comes back to toy commercial. <laughs> yeah, just stick it all in there. we got to open this show with a bang. Hell, can we put some whale hovercrafts? Like, they're, they, they can travel on land, right? <laughs> stick those in there. Something uh, to do with all of the massive fleet of vehicles used in the uh, in the opening, and this is something I, I think Steve may have caught on very quickly. But there is a certain vehicle we are all very familiar with. It's got four wheels and a gun, but it seems to have an extra seat. You know which one I'm talking about, guys? Mm, the vamp. Uh... The vamp. <laughs> and who's straddling the rear gun on the vamp? Stalker. And Snake Eyes. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, they, they straddle them. They're like kind of there. I love how they don't really draw in a seat. They're just kind of straddling the gun. There isn't a seat. I mean, they managed to get away with it in the comic books as well without ever illustrating a seat back there. They I love that. kind of show... A guy somehow behind those guns, essentially controlling the guns in the back of the vamp. But, you know, you look at the toy and, and it's very unclear how that is supposed to work. Work, yeah. I mean, maybe if you took the the gas cans out of that back basket, you could maybe <laughs> finagle a figure's foot in there yeah. for securing him. But, uh, no. Uh, uh. Weird. And... But yeah, it's such a cheat. <laughs> Which is so weird because the stinger in the catalog actually has a. It looks it looks like it's got a positioning for a guy to stand on the back, but that's actually not the case. And yeah. not a very sensible idea either, considering the weaponry that the stinger has. Yeah, well, hmm. rather put foot pegs in like a runner board at the back of a Vamp Mark One. Uh, yeah, don't put the same setup. On the back of a Stinger Jeep, where you know you're gonna fry your Viper. Exactly. So, Steve, what happens after they capture Duke? Well, Snake? shortly after that, they capture Cobra Commander, um, and so we cut to the Joes incarcerating the Head Snake. What I love, though, is instead of pulling over and slapping the cuffs on him and putting him in a more secure vehicle, Gung Ho just. Puts him in the passenger seat of the vamp. Puts his arm around him. I love like, that. I got you, babe. You're not going nowhere. I love and of that. of course, we close out the scene with uh, Roadblock spitting his 
debut rhyme. Yeah, you heard it. September 10th, 1984. It was... Duke and Snake Eyes, just you wait. They're gonna top Cobra up for bait. <laughs> How do you rate my roadblock impersonation, guys? That's actually pretty good. <laughs> I mean, That's I'm a... spot on. Cool. Thanks. Appreciate I'll knock your eyeballs inside out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Quoting the movie. Nice. But, uh... um, um, I'll give you a seven and a half. Oh, thanks, dude. I wasn't even trying. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, um, that is actually exactly what I was hoping you would mention there. It's it's such a stupid thing, but they don't give Cobra Commander any shackles or any kind of... They don't put him in any kind of cage or anything. They keep just... him in his uh, his signature look. They don't take off his, his battle helmets, which I can appreciate. Mm. But when he gets bust out of there by Zartan and Baroness in disguise, it is the most hysterical thing that they're gassing the guards and the prison warden. And so Baroness and Zartan have handkerchiefs that they put around their, their nose no. and mouth. <laughs> but Cobra Commander, in his battle helmet faceplate, is it's clutching so a handkerchief. Over oh, up to the faceplate. Up to the plate. <laughs> yeah. And that is... Hysterical. It is so random. You know, they do the same thing again much later with Gas and Cobra Commander in the movie. Because they use the spores, they put the spores on him, and the spores also go through the battle mask. You know? Rather and ineffective uh, defense. Yeah. Mask. And and then also, in other, uh, there's another episode where they actually have poison gas coming out of the mask as a defense mechanism for Cobra Commander. So what's up with that damn thing? It's a real MacGuffin in, in a lot of ways. It's, it's really funny. Well, they do a nice job of explaining it in uh, The Commander Escapes, which is one of the Larry Homer issues, yeah, early, early comic book issues, that there is a small explosive charge which mm. prevents you from tampering or removing the helmet. So mm. there was a little bit more forethought going into it at the hands of Mr. Homer. We have quite a nice debut of the Baroness's uh, outfit. Uh, you'd recall that in The Mass Device, she wore... a a kind of a, a variation on a Cobra standard uniform. It was blue. She had green specks. Now she's in the black leather. But she is utilized in the opening episode in almost exactly the same fashion. The sort of undercover sleeper agent. This time she's tasked with breaking Cobra Commander out of prison. Mm. Now I was under the impression that Cobra Commander was in prison. The conclusion of the mass device... Cobra Commander gets taken prisoner. Destro escapes. We open on uh, Revenge of Cobra with Cobra Commander still at large. Oh, well, I guess something happened in between. They can never keep that guy in prison, can they? Yeah. Yeah. The same as he can't help but but shot retreat at the end of every single fight that he's in. (laughs) Our liberation is now at hand. Sunlight. I hate sunlight. It robs me of my camouflage ability. Let's get back to the swamp. Yo, Joe! Ah, home sweet home. There's something that I want to get you guys' opinion on. It's my personal favorite moment in this particular episode so watch what you say 
But the swamp chase between mm. the Dreadnoughts and Cobra Command and Baroness on Chameleon Swamp Skiers and the G.I. Joe team led by Gung Ho in Skyhawks, which are being used like wet bikes. Yeah. Uh, in a yes. similar in a similar sense that the the chameleon swamp skiers are being used, like sort of skiing along the surface of the water, and not being used as aircraft. What do you think of that? I found that very interesting. I actually never thought that you could use them in that way. And obviously, I suppose they wanted to make the fight more dynamic and more risky. You know, kind of like they have to you know, weave on the water instead of being in the air. It is a different way of using the the vehicle. And I like that. Um, I got no problem. I love that scene as well. I think it's really, really well done in comparison to a lot of stuff that's done later as well. It's one of the coolest scenes, one of the cooler little set pieces. I also kind of like the fact that it evokes a bit of a indoor speeder bike chase. Absolutely. Mm. Especially that. when they go like POV. Yes. Yeah, man. It's just like the sequence that they shot for Return of the Jedi which was shot on a steady cam. A guy just walked through a forest and they sped the, the footage up. Yeah. So obviously they didn't have to go through that length uh, when animating it, but the effect is the same. You get that insane motion of like, you know, trees and and mangroves and cypresses, you know, zipping past your head. And And another thing I really, really love about that scene is... It's cool seeing Cobra actually act as a competent unit. You know, you've got Cobra Commander is with Zartan, and you've got Baroness is at the back, I think, either with Torch or Buzzer. She's riding shotgun, and she's shooting backwards, and the drama of the scene is there, and they're, like, jumping over stuff. But they're really working together. There's none of this, like, kind of uh, heavy-handed humor or dumb, you know, like, dumbness to the characters. They're very, like, hardcore. You actually go, wow, Cobra's actually hardcore. They, they don't around you know what i mean you you get that more than anything else in that whole series when when they're going through that chase and i love that i love how i love how real it is in a lot of ways with cobra you know not being a bunch of zeppos like a bunch of you know goofs i just love seeing them being efficient and being cool and that scene really shows it off and rob mentions with the skyhawks he never thought of them being used that way and i also love that they are being used that way because strategically it makes more sense. You can't go above the tree line and try to chase them because the the forest is too dense or because the swamp is the swamp growth is too dense. Mm. So you have to go in there. It's cool that the show instead of okay, it's being a commercial again, but in the same way, it's actually saying, "Hey kids, you don't just have to use the Skyhawk as a jet. It can actually also be this low nap of the earth attacking hovercraft kind of vehicle." Which I like. And then thousands of kids all over the United States tried that with the Skyhawks and had them sink all the way to the bottom of the pool. Yep. <laughs> Another um, unfortunate thing about the Skyhawk, uh, in the opening sequence, we see Duke climb out of his Skyhawk with a jump jetpack strapped to his back and take the fight to Cobra by jumping yeah. onto the laser and beating the crap out of some Cobra troopers. Yeah. Well, you can't fit a figure with a jetpack strapped to his back into the cockpit of the Skyhawk, just in case you were wondering. Well, you can barely fit a figure into the cockpit of the Skyhawk. When I say figure, I'm talking hit and run. Uh, he, he, he fits in there, but it's quite a tight fit, even for a vintage figure. 
So I think it's definitely purpose-built for 83 and 84 Joes. Also, why would you need the jump pack? <laughs> you could have just flown up there and just shot a line. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, just land your, your Skyhawk on the top and uh, climb out. I think they probably had a mandate of exactly how much gear they had to showcase mm. in the first episode alone. So they were like, can we, can we get the jetpack in? We can totally get the jetpack in. Let's get the jetpack in. <laughs> yeah. So they, cool. they managed it, it all, man. Uh, it also occurs to me that in terms of the G.I. Joe's uh, motor pool or hangar, uh, the Skyhawk is probably the only vehicle that could plausibly achieve that sequence. Mm. I mean, you get a brief showcase of the whale, but the whale mm. is too cumbersome a vehicle to uh, to a- adequately pursue chameleon swamp skiers. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it was a very creative use of the, the Skyhawk, but I got no problems with that. I do, yeah, however, I have a problem of them being, like, full auto and not hit a single Dreadnought. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. that's the Sunbow thing, man. That's, yeah, that's storytelling for you. Um, I mean, it is quite obscene how they don't let up. Gung Ho and his boys are like, they've got their thumb down on the button. <laughs> yeah. Just like, come on, I gotta hit something. Interestingly, they also use quite a varied number of laser sound effects. Yes. It's not the standard zot, 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 and. Uh, whatever the G.I. Joe, um, I, I, yeah, I can't onomatopoeically uh, imitate Convey. the G.I. Joe laser yeah. sound, but uh, it's it's nice to see. I mean, they settled into it in the main series, but between Mass Effect and Revenge of Cobra or uh, Weather yeah. Dominator, um, there's a nice variation of, of gunfire sound effects, which is welcome. I was watching later episodes uh, yesterday, in the series, I'm talking like episode 20 or so, and they still mix up the the laser sounds. Oh uh, wow, okay. Then pra- praise withdrawn. <laughs> it seems uh, I just always fixated on those two sound effects for whatever reason. There's the Cobra sound and the Joe sound. I guess yeah, I forgot that. that there were other sounds that they mixed up. What do you guys think of uh, Zartan's glowing panels when he talks? <laughs> hmm. Go for it, Rob. Uh. I didn't understand why why it had to do that. And did it did it have a lightsaber sound effect on it? It totally has a lightsaber sound effect. Kind of you know like lights that. up and then then he he talks. And then also Zartan has that weird kind of like echoey sound to his yes. voice. No, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't either, <laughs> but I love it. I do love it as well. Uh, I don't. Perhaps love... it has something to do with the technology that, that is using to imitate imitate voices. That when be. he speaks normally, that technology is somehow warping his his normal speaking voice. Yeah, it makes him very interesting, I, and I can see why. And creepy. if you'd watch the cartoon, like you would absolutely love Zartan. Mm. Oh, buddy, and this is where the fact that you haven't watched the rest of this show, uh, where it's really exciting for me, because within this very same miniseries arc. Zartan is quite a major player, mm. and uh, it's 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 quite exciting to me that uh, you're going to be experiencing this for the first time. Yay, yay, yay! One of the nice things is that they kind of do away with Zartan's glowing panels when he speaks, which is great. 
him going into the sunlight seems to be an ongoing trope, you know, within the series, with him, and that's cool. But he does seem to maintain a bit of that echo in his voice, but it, he does also lose it eventually, which is quite sad, because um, I also like that sound a lot. It, it makes him very almost foreboding and kind of creepy. He He's creepy. He's like the creepy thing that Cobra has at that point in the in the series, uh, in, in the whole show. But there would be more creepy things coming later, and some creepy just because they're dumb. But specifically there, it's awesome. And His lightsaber like... panels seem to light up when he's in distress, basically, if I read it correctly. For instance, when Destro's showing off his creeper vines <laughs> by using them to attack his superior officer. I mean, okay, the logic of that uh, escapes me as well. But he uses them on Cobra Commander and Zartan to sort of put down their doubts that these are effective weapons. That's when Zartan's panels start lighting up and going crazy and, you know, sound like lightsabers clashing. And he's got, always got a very, like, whiny sound to his voice. Or like, oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. But, uh, uh and, and Destro being a dick, uh, that's something that they, they established uh, quite early in the show as well that I like. Uh, Destro, there's a, there's like a, I don't want to call it a love triangle, okay? It, but there's definitely some well, form of like. Well, you just did. There's there's <laughs> definitely some form of weird tension between Destro and Zartan for Cobra Commander's attention, and then also to dominate Cobra Commander. Those two are always trying to either win Cobra Commander's affection or screw him over, and you see that in full force, pun intended. Well, in the animated movie, when both Destro and Zartan sort of turn their back on Cobra Commander because Galobulus is actually a more dangerous foe and they don't really know where to like sort of stand there. So they're kind of as weird. They're kind of buddy up. You get that feel, but here they're complete rivals. And for most of the show, they will be. And it's actually quite cute because Destro, <laughs> Destro actually gets quite jealous. It's really funny. And he gets quite upset. It's kind of like Zartan and Cobra Commander are actually best friends. And Destro is just like the rich friend that they both hang out with. And you'll see that a lot in the show. And you see it here, and it starts here, specifically. When he snares him with the creeper vines, and Destro's all like, ha ha ha, look how amazing my creeper vines are, they're so amazing. And then before then, when Major Blood's like, oh, when when should we like make a plan to rescue Cobra Commander? And then he's like, in good time. And Cobra Commander comes out, and he's like, in good time! There's no good time in prison! Yeah, that whole thing. <laughs> Which all suggests to me that actually the power arrangement of Cobra is Cobra Commander is the figurehead and the beloved leader who has these these sycophantic underlings like the Baroness and uh, Major Blood who are just dying to bust him out of prison any chance they get. But the real brains of the operation is Destro. And yep. Cobra Commander mm-hmm. is Destro's lackey. Because Destro's got the Weather Dominator, it's his device, it's his plan, and Cobra Commander is the guy being sent out to go and fetch the components that Destro needs. It's like, (laughs) come here, boy. You see this? I want this. Now go get it. But they so quickly retconned that, hey? I'll do that. Uh, Later, yeah, because I think that's actually somehow it got lost in translation with regards to... The production team and Hasbro themselves, the the guys who make the show, 
because Destro is played up as the number one badass, even though Cobra Commander is meant to be that guy. And as you just illustrated now, Cobra Commander does seem a bit like the lackey kind of thing. He's like he's like the boss, but like you said, Destro is the real brains. Later on, they switched that up a little bit just to balance it out. But I think that was originally a mistake, like a, some kind of faux pas on behalf of the series creators. I wanted to say this about the Skyhawks being used as like water skis. That is the coolest misuse of a vehicle I've ever seen. It's even cooler (laughs) than using a stun in the Himalayas. Word up. Because that's (laughs) pretty cold. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha ha, I'm funny, aren't I? (laughs) Well, I think using a stun in the Arctic is stupid. Uh, as you or noted. the layers. Well, in the snow is stupid. Uh, and I also think it's silly that they used it quite... F- well, I wouldn't say too far after the stun's release. Um, coming back ice to the Ice cold, sky- baby. Ice cold. Ice, ice, ice cold. The Skyhawk will once again be used as a ski kind of device um, in a future episode as well. Mm. Uh, actually in the snow. In, oh. in, the, in the Arctic. As it were. <laughs> There's nothing you can't do with a Skyhawk. It is the ultimate... It stabilizes on. It is the ultimate G.I. Joe MacGuffin vehicle. I find in the series, there's nothing that the Skyhawk can't do, and there's nothing that the Sky Striker can't do. Rob, you will come to find that in the series as you watch more <laughs> of it, and I hope you do. Because I'm looking do, forward to this. They find some pretty amazing uses for both Skyhawk and Sky Striker and the Shark uh, as we as you get further into it. So be warned, citizens of G.I. Joe land. There is cool shit coming. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> for the 25th anniversary collection, they did those sets, those three packs or four packs, depending on, on which uh, season it was. They did one based on Revenge of Cobra, and, and then all of them came with a DVD. The Revenge of Cobra is edited as one continuous... It's, it's a film. It's done like a film. It's a, all the miniseries are sti- uh, stitched together, and it goes for... It's 110 minutes in, in total. Because on the DVD collection, you can either watch it as separate episodes or as one continuous, no intro, no outro... Trailer. No teaser. No teaser trailer. What do you guys actually think of the way of the Dominator? Or what does Rob think of the way of the Dominator so far? <laughs> Uh, I don't know, it seems really hokey. It's like, hey, we're going to attack you with the weather. Shit, it's going to rain a lot now, and you better give us money, or your washing will never be dry. (laughs) (laughs) Your pants will smell like mold forever! (laughs) Let me throw something at you then. There are a lot of conspiracy theorists in the world today, as we well know, but there are a lot that believe that there is a weapon that does actually control the weather um, in the world that we live in today, and that the last time we saw a successful test of its abilities was that big tsunami that happened in... I think... I'm so bad with names of places that have disasters, but that huge tsunami that just hit. Uh, What, the one that hit the Philippines? That's right, yeah. Or Japan. Uh, Yeah, well... Well, what, I mean, there's been no. a procession of of big, big waves, man. Now, the thing is, they're, they're, like I said, they're a group of these conspiracy theorists that believe that a, a weapon, a device called the HAARP, H-A-A-R-P, uses uh, sympathetic uh, sonic 
frequencies and whatever to generate earthquakes and waves and whatever. Jeez, and they copped the name of uh, Resolute. Oh well, it's before Resolute. That's the thing. Uh-huh. So Resolute uh-huh. is nodding this conspiracy theory. There we go. So there are a lot of people who believe, yeah, that this thing exists. That a weather, uh, a device that controls the weather exists. Now, if that does exist and it exists to that extent, we have seen third hand <laughs> how how devastating that can actually be. Uh, you know, and and that's why it's it, that's one thing I love about this cartoon series, this uh, the GI Joe series, is that they do come up with some of the most wildest, insane ideas, but some of them are actually quite feasible, and are believed to exist. Mm. Mm. That's why that's why I had to ask. That's why I was dying to ask Rob this specifically because <laughs> I know that he'll be like, it's hokey. <laughs> yeah, it it but it really does seem hokey. Like oh, you control. Totally it, it's is. like it's like that the um, British Avengers film where yes. um, Sean Connery controls the weather. It's like yeah, I can imagine lightning being really devastating. But I mean, I suppose if you think about it a bit more, yes, weather can be very. It can. It's, it's hectic, but like I don't see how you can control it effectively. Well, that's the thing. You know, I mean, the the, the plot of this um, series starts off with. Okay, yeah, they're going to use the weather dominator and what, flood people and whatever, you know, and you don't know that, I don't know that, so let's not go into that too much further. But if they had changed the plot to, oh, you know what, they're going to use it to ransom governments, they're going to cause droughts, and, you know, you can ransom a government and you can control its people, you can control whole governments by destroying their food supply, by messing up the weather patterns. It's interesting. It's an interesting weapon, and it's actually something I've always had quite an affection for, more so than the mass device, and uh, something that I'm going to admit to now in terms of my opinion, where my opinion is coming from for this miniseries specifically. I far prefer this. In fact, if I had seen mass device, it's got a lot of cute little things here and there, but this is my favorite miniseries uh, going forward for G.I. Joe, because I like mm. the weapon more. I think it makes more sense. I like the fact that the cost is somewhat expanded. And we're going to get into that eventually, but, you know, you're going to get, well, you've already got, like, the 84 team, which yeah. we didn't have much of in Mass Device. It was mainly just 1983 G.I. Joes and Cobras. And you've got the key characters from the 1985 line, the Dreadnoughts, Lady J, Flint, and a smattering of other new Cobras who we haven't encountered. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Yeah. So I um I I thoroughly enjoyed episode one of the Weather Dominator. It seems pointless and and also quite challenging to give it a a star rating uh, since it's the first episode under review. But off the top of your heads, gents, out of five, can you rate your enjoyment of In the Cobra's Pit? Rob first. <laughs> Chicken shit. <laughs> it's got me curious to see more. I mean, it was definitely enjoyable. So I probably three stars out of five. Mm. It's make me. It's made me curious to see like where does this go from here. And it's nice to know that it's it's a five part miniseries, so they kind of have more time to develop the ideas, and a lot more stuff hopefully can happen. So mm-hmm. three out of five. I am interested to keep going. For me, I feel that it's got it creates enough intrigue um, to make you want to watch more. It's got the right balance of drama, action, and commercial to keep me happy. So you got the sequence with the Skyhawks that I really love. 
you've got all of these cool characters, these well-drawn characters, very cool cobras, very cool vehicles, some great locations. So that definitely makes me happy. I, I pull out the toys and want to play with the toys when I'm watching the episode. So there's your toy commercial aspect of it. And then the drama of, oh, what are they going to do with the Weather Dominator? Now that Destro's got the laser generator and all that stuff. I want to find out what happens next. I hope Flint doesn't die in the vines. <laughs> it's a I great also, cliffhanger, actually. It is. It's really cool. I really love that. I can't stress like, how much I dig this miniseries. But one thing, and it's really sad, but I understand it, and this has to happen with cartoons, but they're totally trying to sell this TV series. So the miniseries is well animated. It's really well animated. And it's really well drawn. Uh, mm. Okay, to be fair, it's it's well animated. It's not amazingly well animated, but it is well drawn. And you're going to see that later as you watch the show. You're going to see that some of the locations become very static. Whereas this one, a lot of there's a lot of animated backgrounds, lots of trees, lots of interesting, cool stuff. The highway, the giant laser gun truck. Everything is all really stunning and and uh, very well drawn, three dimensional skyhawks and the vamps and the stinger that comes out of the rock. It's all very sexy, but later on they start taking serious shortcuts. And I understand the industry, so I understand why they do that. And to be fair, they make very good quality shortcuts. I give it four out of five stars. Mm. Tricky, and I'll tell you why. I'm tempted to go with you there, Paul, but I also know that. We're setting a base level now. Yeah. Some episodes are not going to quite reach this first episode's peaks, and some episodes are going to surpass it. So I'm not going to be able to give it as high as four, and I'm going to dip into the half marks and give it three and a half. <laughs> so what would that be? Seven out of ten? Yeah. That's, that's uh, and good. I mean, I'll tell you and why. Because... Yeah. I do have some idea of what is to come. Mm. And I remember thinking when I initially watched this, the opening action sequence is terrific. Mm. A lot of hardware, battling it out in, as far as cartoon standards are concerned, in a very realistic way. Mm. You had Cobra, his tanks being dropped off by heavy lift helicopters. You had... Cobra Air Force, you had G.I. Joe Air Force, you had vamps, you had tanks, you had wolverines, rockets firing, lasers being fired. You had a very cool action sequence to try and protect the convoy, the convoy being attacked, derailed, or, well, basically being unhitched, Cobra coming in from the air. You know, it, it had a great sense of staging, and that's something that is often missing in uh, G.I. Joe and Cobra all-out battles. Often it's just like one force on one side, one force on the other side, and just lasers being pew, 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 being pew. exchanged between them and hitting nothing. Well, here you had intelligent, well-staged, and well-choreographed combat. So it it's an action sequence that is seldom surpassed, actually, in uh, in the realm of G.I. Joe action sequences. And it's interesting because it encompasses so much. You've got, as I say, an air force battle and a ground battle. battle. You've even got Duke and, mixing and. it up and, and having some fisticuffs with uh, with Cobras. And then Snake Eyes helping him out. like And actually punching and kicking. Amazing. No breakdancing. <laughs> no breakdancing, no laser guns, no dressed as a Cobra anywhere. <laughs> but no sword. Yeah. Ah, you see. They're very careful with that. Yeah. Unfortunately, I suppose... 
strict animation codes and what you can show on, on, you know, sort of animated violence and what you can't was very much in effect. Oh, totally. And that's why we don't see Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes facing off. But we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. So I'm uh, going to go with three and a half stars, giving this an average rating of three and a half. Dun, dun, the dun. Mm. There we go. Tune I, in tomorrow for our next episode, episode uh, two of The Revenge of Cobra, entitled The Vines of Evil. Da, 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 da. I can't do that song properly. There's some cool pieces of music in that series. Uh, we can talk about that later. Oh, and mention. another reason why this episode rocks hard. Introduction of Zartan. Thank you. Yes, Zartan is too cool. Too cool mm. for school. I'm actually looking forward to the conclusion when we sort of tie up a lot of stuff after having watched five episodes and I've made some notes for myself for then. Some things I just want to mention that are very interesting. Why do we not have a figurine of Colonel Sharp? He features quite prominently in the animated series and he features as quite a big character in the animated series. So we don't get a toy of him, which I've always thought is a bit odd. Because old timers are boring? Maybe. Maybe, you know, but we need a boss, you know, and he is kind of the boss of G.I. Joe in the cartoon for a long time. Also, what's with that cool little hovercraft that he's being escorted to the Blackwater prison in? That was really cool. I like that little hovercraft. Hmm. Three, why isn't he being um, escorted by G.I. Joe personnel? (laughs) You would think that, you know, such a high-ranking member would be escorted by somebody, by some kind of high professional. Meanwhile, he's being escorted by some green shirt. These are niggly things. They're not actually things that impact the episode. I just think they're interesting to mention. And what is he on the way to do when he yeah. gets recalled because he finds out Cobra Commander's been apprehended? Oh, quickly, let's go to the prison. Like, is he just cruising <laughs> around the swamp in the vicinity of the prison? That's where he lives. He Joyride. The series sort of seems to suggest that he stays on the flag, that the flag is where he stays. He doesn't stay at G.I. Joe HQ which hasn't been uh, mentioned yet in the miniseries, which is also something interesting. Don't they cut to G.I. Joe HQ? No, they don't. They, they're always using the flag or referring to the flag. Uh, uh, and in this episode, I mean, in, in, in this miniseries, the flag hasn't been introduced. No. Uh, it hasn't debuted yet. They are using the animated version of the G.I. Joe HQ, which is obviously size hugely expanded. Yeah, you're so right. I was looking down and writing down, and I think I, meant, I missed that. My bad. Oh, it's a very brief little establishing shot, and then it cuts to the interior, which is a kind of a massive control room, cartoon shorthand for G.I. Joe base. <laughs> yeah. And I have this massive, like, telecommunications center where we can unveil Cobra's plot. Yeah, with all the little glowing walls and, and uh, painted with markers and drawn with markers for the middle And random effect. non non-toy characters like Sparks who I'll never understand why why does this character exist I think it's the only time you've seen in the whole episode eh? otherwise I think it's Short Fuse that they use later is it no 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 I lie I lie it's not Sparks we never see Short Fuse it is Sparks because Sparks goes to that alternate reality thing no that's Steeler man there we go, it's Steeler. Sorry, dude, I get confused. They are very similar. <laughs> Tank driver, because... telecommunications guy, sure. They, 
they all wear green. <laughs> yes, that's, yes, that's, that is true. That's something that uh, you'll see eliminated in the show as well. No more green shirts. Everybody gets colors. And yet, uh, the character whose action figure does come with a very distinctly different color gets his color taken out in the cartoon. Does anyone know who I'm referring to? Stalker or Flint? Flint, correct. Yeah. The action figure has a black shirt, but when they animated him, for whatever reason, maybe they were working off a prototype uh, version of the action figure or prototype design or prototype card art or something that uh, did not use a black shirt. But for whatever reason, they stuck with it, and the entire Sunbow cartoon series does not feature Flint wearing a black shirt. That's correct. I had a feeling you would pick up on that multiple paint apps guy. (laughs) (laughs) How many paint apps does the original Flint action figure possess? Okay, somebody keep score. We've got black. We've got red. We've got green. We've got gold. We've got a dark green. We've got a brown slash tan. And then we've got a darker brown used on his camo pattern on his trousers. How many apps have we got? That is seven. Seven apps. Where's his yellow? No yellow on flint. Ow. We take out Falcon. We got green. We got brown. We got a light green. We got yellow. We got black. We got another shade of brown. We've got another shade of green. We've got a motley camo-y stuff. Technical and terms, then. I suppose, yeah, sure. Great technical terms. Hey, man, <laughs> um, I mean, I suppose we could count flesh tone for both of these characters, but that's actually just a molded plastic mm. color. Mm. How many paint apps we got there, Robbie? That's eight. Eight. What? Eight. Yep. It's eight. Impossible. Eight. One extra. <laughs> green, green, brown, green, brown, 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 green. <laughs> Motley something. Yeah. And yellow. And yellow. Yeah, and that's Eight, only one extra. Oh, wow. It's close. It's very close. It's very close. But anyone seeing the two figures side by side would would probably say Flint has a more varied palette. Mm. Falcon's just a lot of browns, greens, and uh, a bit of black for good measure. Mm. Whereas Flint's a bit more of the rock star of the beret wearers on the Joe team. Oh, definitely. It's so sad that, speaking of Beret members of the team, Stalker doesn't make too many return appearances in the Sunbow show. I've always found that sad myself, but he just didn't get a remade action figure. Not for yeah a while, and then when he does, I think he's in Deke once or twice. And in, in his Arctic gear, I think, and then later again, Briefly with the tiger pants. I like Talking them. battle commanders. Love that figure. Blitz them. Blitz them. <laughs> Let's party. <laughs> Eat lead, Cobra. <laughs> so well, cool. that about wraps it up for episode 39 of G.I. Joburg. But don't worry. 
I'm planning on releasing these one a day. So we'll be back, as I say, with episode two. But that'll be 39.2? Mm, I think we'll go with 40. We're going to bump up our episode numbers a bit. Yeah. Um, We're going to catch we... up with flag points. <laughs> on episode 46. 